Okay, ladies. Thank you, Amber and Emily, for leading us in worship. Great, great moments, and I know it's just, I know, it's awesome. I know, it's great. Love you, too. So glad to be able to do that. It was so great. I, I ran back there real quick to grab something, and just walking up here, all week we've been doing that, and this room has been empty, and then just to see it just full of you and worshiping, it's just beautiful. So really appreciate that, Amber and Emily, and what a great dinner, right? Yes, thank you. So. Big thank you to Julie and Rachel and Julie, and then just with Nicole, you just have no idea all the things that she's doing behind the scenes, so just uh, just thank her. All of them are such wonderful, wonderful women to serve with, and what a joy. But you know, ladies, God's given us a great dinner, and he's filled us up like that, but he has more for us tonight. He has a spiritual filling as well. And so I just want to pray for us as uh, as we get started. Spirit of God. Spirit of God, we ask that you would speak to our hearts in such life-giving ways this weekend from your word. Lord, you know that I have nothing to say without your voice, without your word. So I pray that you would speak, God, to each one of us here. God, me included, Lord. We need to hear from you. God, I know there are things that we don't even know that we need that you're ready to pour out on us, God. I pray that we'd have open hearts, Lord, to receive them. Lord, for all of our emptiness, God, I pray that you would bring your fullness. And God, my biggest prayer is that you would give us, each one, a supernatural revelation of your love, Lord. We all need a supernatural revelation of the way that you love us, the experience of your love, God. So we ask you for that this weekend by your mercy by your grace Lord you've told us grace to you and peace to you and so God we we have open hearts to receive that now in Jesus name amen and ladies I know you were praying that with me right right this is my voice but I know your heart was right there with me and really that has become such a prayer in my heart that God would grant a supernatural revelation of his love. I am convinced that every single person needs that. Every single person needs a supernatural revelation of the love of God poured out in our lives to fill us up. You know, there's a lot of things in this life that we would not settle for having all of it, right? I don't know, did anybody stop at Starbucks on the way down here today? Okay, and you paid your extra more than it costs money for that cappuccino, cup of coffee, whatever you got, and I do it too, okay, so no judgment, right? But we all do it. But if you put the money down for that, and then you go to the end of the counter, and you wait, and they give you like a cup that's like a halfway full, you would go, uh-uh, right? And you push that thing about against the counter, and you'd say, no, I, I paid for a whole cup of coffee, right? Or if you worked all week, and your boss then gives you like two-thirds of a paycheck, would you settle for that? No, you wouldn't. Or if your family goes and orders a pizza and they bring out half, you know, oh, the cook wanted some. You would go, no, that, that just doesn't work. We don't settle for those kind of things. And we should never settle. We should not be content with only knowing a little bit. Only knowing a little bit or maybe a lot, but not all of the love and the goodness that God has poured out on us. See, our love, our understanding, our, our experience with the love of God needs to move from just knowledge in our heads 
to a real experience, right? From, from words on a page that every now and then we just kind of nod our head at and go, oh yeah, God loves me. Remind ourselves, yeah, God loves me too, where we're really experiencing the fullness of God's love in just ways that fill us up to overflowing. So I want to tell you about a moment this year that I came to a real understanding of that. Um, if you go back, rewind all the way back to January 1 of this year, on that day, I began a three-month sabbatical. And uh, I did that because after really 11 years of full-time and I say overtime ministry, God had just really put it on my heart that I needed to take a rest and refreshment. And our board agreed, in fact, was pushing me to do it. And it really was a great thing. Uh, for the, you know, as we went into the three months, um, you know, I was thinking, okay, this is just going to be amazing, you know, like I can sleep in if I want and I can just, you know, not have all these pressures of different things that we're always planning and doing. And I did have some really, really amazing moments. I mean, I got to go to the Caribbean for two weeks and it was amazing. I highly recommend it. Um, we were on a cruise for two weeks. Actually, we were on the same boat for two weeks. We got off and got right back on and it was just great. It was, it was wonderful. I'm a beach mom girl. I love the beach. And so you just can't even get better than that for refreshment. So that was amazing. I had time with my husband. We were celebrating our 30th anniversary during that time. And so just a lot of really good things going on. And just time to just be. I love to paint. I got to do some of that. Just different, different things. But you know, even amid some really, really amazing moments, about the month of March, God began to just give me a picture of what was going on in my heart, and it really wasn't good. Now, I was kind of surprised by it because I had thought, you know, just give me a couple weeks in the Caribbean, some time to relax, and all of these things, and by about March, I should be gearing up because I'm going to be, you know, getting back into my role the first part, part of April. But what God began to show me was that there were places in my heart that were really empty. And that there were other places in my heart where my heart was really full, but it was full of things like jealousy and bitterness and disappointment. And I was really surprised by that because I really hadn't seen that. I knew that there was some things going on, but I just thought, oh, I just needed time in the Caribbean, you know, and I'll be good. But see, what God was really doing was using this sabbatical time to give me time to breathe, to give me some space to think and to get a hold of my time and my attention and clear out my schedule so that I could see a need that I didn't even really know that I had. And without going into a lot of personal detail now, I'll just share with you that I became very aware I needed to know that God loved me, that God loved me. Now, don't get me wrong. I knew that God loved me. I had told people for years, God loves me and he loves you. I mean, I had written a Bible study about God's love, and I think it's pretty good, actually. I mean, it's on the Word of God. How can it not be? But, I mean, I knew God loved me. I had sung Jesus Loves Me since I was this big. I had painted pictures of God's love. I had preached messages on God's love. I knew that God loved me. But in this season... I needed to know that God loved me. I needed more than knowledge, right? I needed an experience because I was very aware that I was only half full and I was very aware I'm not okay with that anymore. And I really got the sense that God was not okay with that either. And it's because he had more. 
He died for me to know and to experience more. And the cry of my heart, like I couldn't even find the words to pray a lot of times, but all I knew to say was, God, I need to know that you love me. I need a supernatural revelation of your love. I hit a wall like I have never hit before in my love, uh, before in my life. And as I cried out to the Lord and began to seek him with a desperation, God began meeting me in different ways. And I, I remember reading this story of a man who had been in a similar place as me, and he was crying out to the Lord for a supernatural revelation of his love. And he described what happened in his life as literally God pouring out liquid love in his heart and I was like I'll take some of that <laughs> I need some of that heaven liquid love just pour it out God just pour it out I knew I needed something and I can tell you God has been answering my cry over these last months just slowly gently pouring in his love into my heart now interestingly enough long before any of that ever happened God had already spoken to me about what this weekend was going to be about. And he had given me one word, and it was the word fullness. I knew that that's what he wanted me to teach about this weekend before any of that even happened. But as I sought him in my emptiness, one of the ways, one of the ways that he began to pour out on me was through the truths of Ephesians 1. And I began to see that they were all about fullness. Now, it's not that I had never read Ephesians 1 before. I had written a series of messages on Ephesians 1 before. But as I came to this chapter with this desperate prayer on my lips, God began to give me a revelation of what he was sharing here in ways that I had never seen before. The Holy Spirit began to speak to me and give me images and pictures. And I began to get a revelation of the supply of God's love that is available for me me not for everybody else yes for every yes for everybody else but for me too that it really was for me as well and that this supply that i could get up underneath it anytime see ephesians 1 doesn't just tell me that god loves me it shows me how he loves me and why he loves me and that i really do have access to the love of god every moment of my life and and i want you to know I have not discovered all there is to know about God's love. That's not why I'm here this weekend to tell you everything you need to know about God's love. Not by any means. But this year, I can give witness to, and, and this weekend, I'm going to be giving witness to how God has brought me into some places of greater revelation by His Spirit greater experience of experiencing the love of God than I've ever known before. And I'm so, so grateful and I'm so excited about sharing some of these things with you. So as I studied this really Ephesians 1, but the whole book of Ephesians, because you really can't just pull out a chapter, right? And just totally study. If you're going to get up and teach it, you really need to get the whole context of things. So I would look at the whole book and I realized it is God's will. You know, a lot of times we say, what is God's will for my life, right? That's the big question for everybody. It is God's will that every believer experience a fullness of his love at all times. He created us for fullness. Not to just have a little bit, not to have even a lot, but not full. He created us for fullness. It's constantly flowing in our lives. So it's no wonder that even in Ephesians 3, we find this amazing prayer from Paul uh, that he wrote for believers and he was crying out to the Lord that each one of us would have a supernatural revelation of the love of God. And I want to read this prayer for you. It's from Ephesians 3, starting in verse 17. Uh, you can turn there with me if you'd like. Okay. 
And it says, he's, this is the middle of the prayer. He's praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. See, what I had been praying for, for this supernatural revelation of God's love, I found that Paul was praying for all believers everywhere 2,000 years ago. And this weekend, what we're going to do is study Ephesians 1. We don't have time to do the whole book. Okay, we're going to do Ephesians 1. But we're going to do it against a backdrop of that prayer that Paul prayed. Now, all of you girls who have been at Fall Bible Getaway before probably know what else we're going to do with that prayer. Does anyone know? Yes, No? What else? Memorize. Memorize. We are going to memorize this prayer. Right. Okay. So we're going to memorize this prayer. And some of you might be going, I don't memorize. I don't memorize. I don't. I can't even remember my phone number. Okay. Take one of these cards. Um, okay. Let me run this one around here. You guys take a card and pass it around. Um, but we've created a card for you. We've laminated it so you can take it in the shower or by the pool or down at the beach, wherever, because we want you to use your idle moments, okay, to just go over this card. You might not have ever memorized scripture before, but memorizing scripture is such a good thing. It's such a good, I don't like to call it discipline, a good delight, a spiritual delight in your life. And it will yield such great things. And being in a community where everyone is doing it is, is, is even better. Because you can encourage one another and challenge one another. Now, we put this in kind of a wave of colors to kind of show you where you should be each day. So you'll start on that first wave of color to get you there. Okay? And also, um, what I want you to see is that we put it in first person. Okay? Because we want you to pray this for yourself. All right? So in that spirit, what I'd like for us to do is just read this out loud together and just plan to keep this with you all throughout the weekend and, and work on getting to a place where this just becomes a prayer of your lips, okay? It becomes a part of who you are. So, so in, in that spirit, let, let's just pray this out loud together as we read it. I pray that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith and that I, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that I may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Amen, right? Amen? Yeah. It's God's will, ladies, that we live this, right? God inspired Paul to write this prayer down. And I believe he did that because he knows we cannot experience the divine love just by head knowledge. If that's all we needed, Paul would have said, God loves you. And we'd go, oh, okay, all right. And we'd go on our way and go, oh, God loves me. I know that, you know. But we don't. We don't. We don't know it. We need a revelation of that. It's more than a transfer of information. It's a working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to see it. And we'll see that over and over again this weekend. In fact, there's two times in the book of Ephesians where Paul just breaks out in prayer for the believers. She has such a heart. And the prayer is about revelation, that the Holy Spirit would do a work in our hearts. And, you know, in this prayer that we just prayed and you're going to be memorizing, one of the things you just prayed was that God would help you to comprehend, right? Comprehend. We hear comprehend and we think understand, right? 
I love this word in the original language. It's a fun word to say. It's the word catalambano. I don't know if you want to say that with me. Catalambano, okay? But what it really means is to take hold of something and make it your own. It's more than just understanding like we hear in our English language. It's taking hold of it, making it your own. In other words, you experience the love of God in your life personally. You know, every person is so, so needy of the love of God, even people who don't know that they need the love of God. Some of us coming here tonight are probably very aware, I need the, maybe you've been praying that like me all year. You know, God, give me a supernatural revelation of your love. Maybe you haven't articulated it that way, but there's just this nagging ache, right? On the inside that you need more. You need more of the Lord. You need more of experience with him. Some of us may not be aware of that. You might think, oh, I'm pretty good, actually. And I hope that you are. But here's the thing. A lot of times, especially in our culture, we are just moving at such a fast pace, filling up our lives with so many things. We don't even have space to breathe and think, to realize how much we need the love of God. And then, like me, you hit a wall. And you're like, what in the world is going on? See, sometimes it takes getting away and and breathing. That's why a weekend like this is so good to get away, to get in a spiritually charged environment, to just let God have access to your heart that many times we don't even have time to think about because we're just so, so busy. We need Him. I've been praying that this time in the Word is going to soften our hearts, to see what we need, and to know that God really has everything that we need. We are so empty without him. How fragile, right, our lives are without the love of God filling us up. So if you can just think of it like this as we jump into this. Think of chapter 1 of Ephesians like a supply of liquid heavenly love, okay? That God really wants to pour out in your life. And if you can think of it like this. You know how if you have a bucket that you're putting under a spigot or or maybe a, a cup that you're putting under the Keurig, you know, you put it right in the center because you don't want any to spill over and and get wasted, right? So in the same way, what we need to do this weekend is each one of us say, I am going to position my life right underneath the flow of this word. Now, we're not going to take it and go, all right, come on, you know, get in my air. Although, I have been known to do that at times. Like, God, teach me what this means, all right? But we we don't want anything to be wasted. Everything that's going to happen here this weekend is intentional. And so we've got to decide even right now that we are going to position ourselves under this word of God and let God just pour into us. And so let me just show you what that would look like. First of all, that's humbling your heart. Humbling your heart and saying, God, I need what you're going to have for me in this word. Turning off distractions, right? And, and you might think, well, I already did that. I left the kids at home. I left my job at home. I left, you know, all that at home. But you know what? You can get distracted here just like you can get distracted at home. If you're not intentional to make sure that what God has you here for is what's going to happen. All right? So you've got to position yourself and then just decide, I'm going to engage in every moment. I'm not going to say, oh, that's not for me. I don't really like that part. I'll do these other things, you know. You're going to engage in every single moment because you don't want anything to be wasted that God has for you here this weekend. 
So we're gonna jump right in. I wanna remind you, okay, that you have a note page and I would encourage you to use it tonight. If you're writing in a journal or something, draw seven hearts across the top of your page because you'll need those. On the note page we gave you, there are seven hearts there, okay? You got them. But if you're gonna use your own journal to write in, make sure you draw seven hearts across the top of your note page, okay? And you also might want to use that um, copy of Ephesians that, that I gave you, all right? So I'm gonna read um, from starting in verse three, and I'm gonna read through about the middle of verse eight. It goes like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. These verses are rich. Very, very rich. They are the breath of God's love expressed to us. You know, earlier tonight, we read in verse 2 that God has poured out grace and peace. And now we got all this, too. <laughs> this is the breath of God's love. And for the rest of our time together tonight, mainly what we're going to do is just work our way through each one of these things with the goal of getting up under the breath of this love and just letting it pour down into us. I know that I need that. Does anybody else here need that? Yep. I need it. You need it. Okay, so we need it. So let's start there, okay? Why don't we start right there, our need. You know what? These things from God that we just read, they have been available to me all the days of my life and all the days of your life. But I spent many years not even aware that I needed them. And I find even now that I am aware of that, God still has to continually remind me to call me over, even like he did during that time of sabbatical in this past year. And I think that's what he's doing for many of us this weekend. So I think one of the first things we need to do is, is kind of flip these verses upside down, if you will, and look at them from the backside to see why do we even need these things that God is, is pouring out on us. So look at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. If I look at that from the backside, it really sounds like I was lacking in some spiritual blessings, right? That God looked at me and saw, she doesn't have what she needs, better pour it out. And if he felt like he needed to pour out every single one of them, I must have been pretty needy, right? Verse 4 says, just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. It sounds like we were excluded, right? Like we were not holy, that we were to blame for something, that we were guilty of something. Verse 5 says he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. So that sounds like we were needy because we were orphans, like we didn't have a father, we needed to be adopted. Now, verse 6 speaks of his grace, but so does the second part of verse 7. So we'll skip that for now and come back in a minute. But the beginning of verse 7 says this. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So that sounds like I needed forgiveness. That sounded like I had a lot of things in my life that needed to be fixed and redeemed. And then 
In verse 7, it continues, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Verse 6, we saw that he freely bestowed on us his grace. Well, that sounds like I must have been a sorry mess if I needed all of that grace. Like when you lavish someone, you like pour it out, like dump it, like douse them with it. So we must have really needed a lot of grace. And here's the thing. All of these things are more than just sounds like it. They are gospel truth. We are a sorry, needy mess without the Lord. We are needy, empty people. And from a spiritual perspective, we have to understand what is our history even. You know, tonight, I know around the table, we were all telling our stories, and I loved our conversations at our table. I mean, some of the people sitting there, I've known for a while, but I learned all kinds of things, and I know that each of you did as well, and that just starts off this weekend in such a rich way. But I, I doubt that anybody, when they started telling their story, said, well, let me go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and they began their story that way, or let me go to before the creation of the world. Because we don't think of our story like that. We think about, for me, 1965 when I was born, right? Or you for whatever year. And I know you're going, 65, she's old. And I am, okay? But that's all right, you know? I'm very young when you think in terms of eternity, right? Those of you who are, that's what I say. No, I'm super young, right? Super young. Ball Bob Getaway last year was all about eternity, right? Yeah, okay. So that's when I decided that I was young. All right. So anyway... But you didn't go back probably all the way there. But the reality is our story does go all the way back to there. So think with me all the way back to there, back to the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 1 and 2, we find God creates all the world, everything in it. He creates Adam and Eve, makes them in his image. Everything's good. Adam and Eve are very good, okay? And you read through that and you find out they didn't lack anything. They were filled up all the time full of his blessings, full of all the goodness of God at every turn. They had fellowship with God, completely unhindered all the time, full of belonging. Children of God they were, his creation. You know, they had authority too. They were full of that, full of understanding. God made them in, in charge of all that was there. So they had to understand how all of it worked, you know, when this one needed to be fed and when this one needed this. So they had all this fullness going on in their lives. There was no hindrance to their experience of the breath of God's love and goodness being poured out on them. But then in Genesis 3, what happens? All that changes, right? All that changes because God had given Adam and Eve a boundary line and he told them they could eat freely from the tree of the knowledge uh, of the tree of life that was in the middle of the garden they had all access that's why they were always full but they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God told them in the day that you eat of that you will surely die and I imagine we're familiar with that. And we know that Satan comes and he tempts Eve and she succumbs. And then she, you know, tempts her husband as well. And he succumbs to it. And they cross that boundary line that God had set. But for years, I didn't really understand how far reaching the effects of their sin really go. But it was very far reaching. It reached all the way into my life, all the way into my story. See, first for them was the death of their spirit. You know, God told them, the day you eat of this, you're going to die. And we might look at them and think, but they didn't die. But they did die. Their spirit died immediately. Their spirit is the place where God dwells within them. And God would no longer live within them. And so their spirit died immediately. So life had been full for them, but no more. 
because God's spirit was not going to be present within them. Their spirit was now empty, okay, of the presence of God. But in verses 14 and following of Genesis chapter 3, we find even after that happened, God began explaining some of the far-reaching effects that would happen from this death. It was going to affect their spirit. It already had. But there was going to be a lot more effects. Whereas they had had all these spiritual blessings flowing at any time they needed them, now the tree of life was off limits. They had no access. So once the blessings that they had drained out, there would be no more. Where they had been holy, now they're guilty. Where they had been God's children, now they're orphans. Children of dust, children of wrath, in the earth without a father. It was almost like, if you can just picture this with me, in this moment, that God reached over to the main supply of his love and goodness and just took that handle and like turned it off. Think of it like that, that picture of God just turning off the fountain of his love. You know, knowing what I know now about God's love and goodness and his heart, I can't imagine how hard that would have been for him. I want to divert for just a minute and tell you, you've probably already heard me talking about, you know, God will flow into you or even just that, you know, mentioning a fountain. And I want to tell you why we're doing that and just give you a picture of this analogy. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus often would use you know pictures word pictures analogies parables stories to help people to grab hold of rich spiritual truths that really in our humanity we can't grab hold of and ephesians 1 is so rich i knew and god knew for me that the only way i'm going to be able to grab hold of that is to really be able to wrap it around some kind of picture or something in our mind and i find that this idea of a fountain or a flow is so um present in scripture you know god talks about the the river of of his life he talks about the flow of his mercy right in the woman at the well he talked about this this fountain of life that would be bubbling up inside of her and and I'm going to share later this weekend even how God gave me some pictures of a fountain with this whole chapter so we're going to be using that you're not going to find a verse in Ephesians 1 that says there is a fountain of God's love flowing okay but I wanted you to know that's why we're doing that in the spirit of these things that, that I just mentioned. But go back to where we were in garden in the garden and think about God, you know, turning off that main supply line after Adam and Eve sinned. And it's easy to think, well, that's their story. That's not my story. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that their story is our story. We are their children. We are children of Adam. We're his offspring. So we're born sinners. So even though that precious baby is so precious, the baby is born void of blessing, void of God's spirit, filled with sin, at odds with our father. So it's no wonder that we read all the way through the Bible and you find person after person who is so needy, right? Trying to fill their life up with something because none of us were created for emptiness. We were created for fullness. And so what we do is out of our desperation, we then go and look to the world to find all the things that we feel because we can't stand that nagging, empty feeling of emptiness. The only problem is this world cannot fill us. It never was designed to fill us. It was designed to bless us, but God is our filling. You know, our true story is that we were created to be filled up with the fullness and the blessing of relationship with God, but sin 
turned off that flow, not just for Adam and Eve, but for every one of us and everyone you've ever known. But here, here is the good news. Here's the grace and peace that God wants to pour out on us. That does not have to be the end of any of our stories, right? Because of Jesus, there was a moment where God reached over and turned all of that, right? Right back on. There's a supply in Jesus that is now freely flowing for anyone who will get up underneath of it and let it pour out into their lives. Jesus was not born the son of Adam. He was born of a virgin. You know, for years I just thought that was like part of the wow factor of Christmas, you know, born of a virgin. You know, no, there's so much more to that. That means that Jesus was not born of Adam. He was not born with his spirit dead. He was not born empty. He was not born void of blessing. He was born filled up with the spirit of God. And he was perfect. So he never crossed the boundary line. So that means he was a perfect sacrifice for our sins, right? And when he resurrected over the death, taking on our sin and dying for it and resurrected, there's victory over death. And in that moment, that's the moment that God said, and turned it all back on. And now there is access for everyone who is in Christ. Everyone who is in Christ. And we need to understand God is good. God is good. Some of us grew up in situations where, where um, you know, the gospel was presented in such a way that it was so heavy and so full of legalism and so full of performance that you, you, you grew up with this idea that God is mad at you all the time and you better crouch low and, you know, just try to fill your life up so you can come and say, look how good I am. Aren't I good enough for you? And that's never the way it was designed to be. God looks at us and he knows how empty and needy we are and he just wants to pour out. Not because of us but because of Jesus, because of who he is. All throughout this whole chapter, we're going to see in him, in him, in Christ, in him, in him. It's all about Jesus. It's going to be according to, according to, according to, but it's never according to us. It's according to him, to his kindness, to his goodness, to his blessing. It's all about Jesus. We're going to find that too. It's all going to be summed up in him. But we need to understand how good God is. We have to start at that place as we go to this chapter. You know, Satan's method of tempting Eve in the garden was that God is not good. The last thing he said to her was a lie, really. He had asked her, what did God say? And she told him, and then he said, that's not true. <laughs> because she told him, God said, in the day we eat of it, we're going to die. And he said, you're not going to die. God knows in the day you eat of it, you're going to be like God. She already was like God. She was already created in God's image. But he said, you'll be like good and you'll, God and you'll know good from evil. Like God's holding out on you. He has something good that he's not letting you have. And once her mind went to that place and she took of that fruit, it was downhill from there because Satan had access to her heart and mind. And he began to darken her mind and her heart with wrong thoughts about God. And we are just like that. We believe things about God that are not true so many times. And as a result, we reach to the world thinking we'll find something better to fill us up. We were designed to be filled up to all the fullness of God. The fullness that our hearts long for can only be experienced in him, which takes us right back to Ephesians 1 and the overwhelming flow of love that we find there. We had to look at our need first, so we'll see how much we need, right? And now we're going to get to see how much he really does pour out on us 
through the Father, through the Son, and through the Holy Spirit. There are so many rich things to discover in this chapter. We're not going to get to get into all of them by any means. But one of the things that you're going to see is that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all present in this chapter. They're all a part of pouring out into our lives. And it starts here in verse 3 really with the Father. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. See, the focus is on the Father. He pours out every spiritual blessing. He does it through Christ, but it comes from his heart because he adores us. He is our daddy. He loves us that much. You know, I can just see God in heaven with all this goodness, you know, just store it up in his arms, and he's just waiting for that moment to pour it out. He created us to give us blessing. You think about the Garden of Eden. It was pure pleasure. Sometimes we grow up with ideas in our minds that God doesn't want us to have a good time or to smile or to, or to enjoy pleasure. God created pleasure. He is the creator of all of those good things. And so he pours out every spiritual blessing. I love it that that word every is included in here. You should write that down in your notes, the word every. It's so important because without that word, you get left in this place of, well, maybe I'm not allowed to have that. Or maybe God doesn't have this for me. Just like Satan tempted Eve in the garden, he'll get inside your mind sometimes and start speaking to you and telling you things like, well, you can have those blessings, but you know that you can't have peace ever. You know what you did, right? Or you will never be able to have true joy. I mean, just look at how messed up your family is. And you know you came from that. So you're going to probably be messed up too and not really be able to know true joy. Or you're not going to know true love because you've been hurt too many times. So you better just back off and don't expect, you know, that one at all. Or you won't be able to be healthy. You can have these things that God wants to give you, but you have this diagnosis. So don't ever expect that you can have wholeness or health. In, in, in your relationship with God. This says every, every spiritual blessing. When Christ died on the cross, when he went into the grave and then resurrected over death, when God reached over in that moment and then turned that fountain back on, every blessing started to pour out into all of our lives. Nothing is withheld. Every single one. Now, I've got some blessings here. It's just like God starts pouring them out and they just come and so you might think well what are the spiritual blessings so here let's just read some of them we've got wholeness we've got um hope everything of god that's good we've got healing we've got kindness we've got gentleness we've got peace we've got belonging we've got understanding we've got faith we've got honor we have truth i mean do you see everyone and there's more than even what's here. And God just wants to pour those things out in our lives. We could go on and on. It's one, one of the ways that the breath of God's love flows out upon us. Just one of the ways. It's a word to us that there should never be any lack in our lives. I want you to write down in that first heart on your note page the word blessed. The word blessed. And I want you to say this with me. He blessed us. He blessed us. Say it again. He blessed us. That's the beginning. Read with me in verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy 
and blameless before him. You know, we all know how good it feels to be chosen, right? But we all know how awful it feels not to be. And we've all probably experienced both of those things, right? Rejection has been said to be one of the things that just creates more emptiness in people's lives than anything. And rejection, whether it really is happening or whether you perceive it, can just be devastating in your life and create such an emptiness for us. Whether it's a rejection when you were a kid and you weren't chosen to play on the team or you know, an invitation that you don't get as an adult or a promotion that you think you should have or all manner of things. Rejection comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes and we all deal with it in all different kinds of ways all throughout our life. But we can get up under the flow of God's love that he chose us. He chose us in any place of rejection we face to know that God chose me. God chose us. It will seep down into the deep places. And this says he chose us before the foundation of the world. That means before he even created us, right? He chose us. That means knowing we were going to be a sorry, rotten mess, he still chose us, right? And that means that God doesn't agree with the other people in our lives who reject us. He doesn't agree with the people who look at us and say we're not enough, or they don't reach out and they don't include us. That doesn't always make them horrible people. It just means that God doesn't agree with them because God chose us. And it tells us that he chose us to be holy and blameless. So it's not that he looked down upon the earth and said, oh, she's holy and blameless. She's not. She is, but she's not. And then only picked the ones that were. It doesn't have anything to do with that. He chose us to make us holy and blameless. He did that before the foundation of the world. The best way that I know how to describe this is by the analogy of an honorary doctorate. Okay? When someone gets an honorary doctorate, they don't pay the tuition. They don't even do the application, right? They don't pay the tuition. They don't go to class. They don't write the papers. They don't write the thesis. They don't do the presentation. They are just chosen to be honored with a doctorate. And in the same way, we don't do anything. God just chooses us, and he makes us holy and blameless. And we need to get up under that word and just let it flow down into some of those deep, deep places in our lives. Let it set you free that God chose you. Write that one down too in that second heart. Chose. He chose. And then we want to say both of these things. He blessed us. He chose us. Say those with me. He blessed us. He chose us. Do you see how this is just getting wider and wider? The breadth of this flow of love. And we're just really getting started, okay? So, verse 5, it says, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. See, God expressed his love to us by adopting us. Now, a lot of people think everybody's a child of God, but really that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. Those who believe in Christ, those who give their lives to Christ, receive that adoption as sons, receive that place to be a child of of God. The word predestined shows us that God knew who we were, but he's telling us he chose us to be his children anyway. And that should move our hearts. You know, sometimes our hearts get so moved by these sappy like Hallmark movies and stuff. This should move our hearts because the sappy Hallmark movie is not about you. This is, right? This is about us, that God did this for us. 
And I love this phrase. I was working my way through memorizing this, and I had just totally gone over this and, and not seen this. But it says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. See, it's not that He just said, Oh, she's a sorry, rotten kid just running around on the streets. Better bring her in and sit her at my table, like with a whole bunch of other people and he doesn't even know who we are. No, He takes us and He brings us to Himself, it's to His heart. He wants us for himself. There's such, there's such a breath of love even in just that phrase, to himself. It's the same idea of being chosen from verse 4, but it's expressed like in a deeper way through this idea of adoption because it's a, it's a heart issue now here. It means we belong. We belong in the family of God. I have two children, and both of them are adopted. So this word to me is very personal. It's a word that I've lived. My daughter's gonna be 26 soon, my son's 21. So I've been doing this adoption thing for a lot of years. And I know what it means to embrace a child and not just give them what you need, but you give them your heart. You give them your heart forever because you just can't help yourself. This love is just there for them. You love them that much, so you want to draw them to yourself. Even walking through some very difficult things with one of our children, I've learned the permanency of adoption and the heart connection of adoption. I will never, never give up on my child. I love my child with a fierceness that will never let go. And that helps me understand what God means when he says that he adopted us. By adopting us, he's not just giving us what we need. He's taking us into his heart. He's taking us into his family, to a place of belonging that we never lose. It never empties out. He's pronouncing a permanency of relationship with us that he will never back out on. His kindness, what does it say here? According to the kind intention of his will secures that. It secures that. So what are you going to write in that third heart? Adopted, right? Okay? Adopted. You're getting the idea here, right? He blessed us. He chose us. He adopted us. Say that again. He blessed us. He chose us. He adopted us. These are the main ideas here. But keep going because there's more. Verse 6. It says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. I can just sense like this fullness in Paul as he continues because he's trying to find the words but there's just, there's just not even enough words and he's experienced this grace, right? This grace so freely bestowed. You know that word bestowed is kind of funny because it's not a word that we've really used in our vernacular very much and so I dug into that a little bit more in the original language and I found out that it really has the idea of being pursued, like someone pursuing, like chasing after you so you can dump something out, all right? And so that really is the idea here of this word. So if we can think of it like that, that he pursues us. He's coming after us with grace. He did that for Paul. That's exactly what he did for him. He did that for me. I love reading stories and testimonies in people's lives. I was reading about C.S. Lewis yesterday, his testimony, and just how God came running after him. He said it was like cat and mouse, like he was trying to hide from God, and God just kept going after him to find him because he just wanted to pursue him with grace. I don't know if you've ever wished, you know, like in your, in your fairyland world that the publisher's clearinghouse people would like pursue you, you know, and come to your house and just dump out all kinds of money on your doorstep. I have, I don't, I don't know what that says to you about who I am, but some days I'm just like, come on, God, can't, I know you could do it. I know you could, you know, but I don't imagine that's ever going to happen. But God did pursue me. 
He did find my address and he did come running after me because he just wanted to pour out his goodness. I didn't deserve any of it. It was his grace, his unmerited favor. He does that for us. So use instead of that word bestowed, if you can use that word pursued, he blessed us, he chose us, he adopted us, he pursued us. Now you gotta say it better than that, ladies. He blessed us, he chose us, he adopted us, he pursued us. Do you see why God used this chapter? To give me a revelation of his love, okay? Verse seven, the first part says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. You know, the word forgiveness, the word redemption, they are church words, religious words that a lot of times we just walk right by. We've heard them so many times and we don't really pay them the mind that they really deserve. But knowing we are redeemed should fill us up with just a freedom, just a freedom. The word redeemed here in the original language literally means a liberation, a liberation. God liberated us from the guilt and the power of sin. We're not bound by it anymore. You know, no father would ever stand by and watch their daughter being bound up and just be okay with it. I don't care if even if it was their daughter's choice that like got her into that situation. That father would fight for his daughter if he's a good father. And how much more is God? We just sang, right? He's a good, good father. He came and he liberated us. He set us free. He redeemed us. He redeemed us. You know, redeemed means that he takes the things in our lives that are so broken, he fixes them, and then he uses them in a way for good. He did that for me. Like, like in my life, I didn't love the word of God. He came into my life. He, he pursued me in that. He fixed that. And then he turned it around where now I can use it for good. That's the grace of God. I could never have done that on my own. And redemption is possible because just like this verse says, he forgave us. He doesn't count our sins against us. He doesn't look at us and go, well, if you hadn't gotten yourself in that mess, then I would fix that, but I'm not. No, he forgives us and he redeems us. The Bible says he removes our sins as far as the what? The east is from the west. You can't get wider than that. A greater breadth of love than that. The love of God, right? So we would write, redeemed, and then forgives, all right? So say these with me. He blessed us. He chose us. He adopted us. He pursued us. He redeemed us. He forgave us. And one more expression here from the second part of verse 7 on into 8. It says, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And I think this one is, is one of the most filling of all because there's such a, a richness to the way these, this grace is flowing. See, not only did he pursue us with it, but this tells us that he lavishes us. And, and again, it seems like Paul is reaching, like for how big of a word could I use to just describe it? Because there's just like, he's so full of what God has done in his life. And he wants these believers to know, but not just those believers, us, us believers, okay? There's so much grace. 
as I was looking at this, the Lord just kind of gave me this picture. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those kids' water parks where like there's a tower and at the top there's one of those big old buckets. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so there's this like water flowing into it and the thing starts doing this because it's getting fuller and fuller. And then at some point, and everybody's watching it because they know what's going to happen, right? It tilts because it just can't contain the fullness anymore. And then it just like lavishes everybody that's underneath it. And, and, and that's fun when you're a kid. Everybody squeals and all that. But you just, you, you can't get away from it. I mean, it's just going to completely cover you or like if you go I love waterfalls you stand under a waterfall and you know it just completely lavishes you the extraordinary measure of this word lavish his grace being poured out on every failure every impure motive every fear every worry every anxious thought every lie every feeling of just emptiness or inadequacy or pain or hurt or problem. I mean, we just go on and on, right? We could all just name these things where we just need the grace of God, just the grace to just lavish us. The breath of his love is that he does. He does lavish us. Paul says in this prayer that we would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath. What we just read, what we've just been looking into, that's the breath. Just all of this just gets wider and wider, this, this love of God. Now, is that all of it? I don't think so. I don't think you can express the breath of God's love in a paragraph or a run-on sentence. I think that is. But that's a whole other story, okay? Yeah, yeah. But you know what? If, ladies, if we would just open up our hearts to that, we would be more than full, right? The things that we've seen here. Say them with me again. He blessed us. He chose us. He adopted us. He pursued us. He redeemed us. He forgave us. He lavished us. I believe with all my heart God created us for that. That kind of fullness. That we would catalambano it, right? Take it into ourselves. Not just leave it as words or verses on a page, but we would know it and own it and live in it. This supply from heaven to fill up all of our emptiness. Everyone experiences emptiness. We all could tell stories of the emptiness we've experienced, the people we love, the emptiness. We can read it all through the Bible. It's all there. Every person experiences emptiness. There's a hole in our buckets right? So to speak, if, if you want to put it that way. And there's a desire to fix it because nobody likes the emptiness. We were not created for it. And I hope that you see it's God's desire, according to his desire, according to his kindness, to fill us up, right? But it's our choice of whether or not we want to receive what he has for us. Because we're going to make a choice. We're either going to choose to fill ourselves with the world or we're going to choose to receive the true source of fulfillment, which is Jesus. And so I want to dig in for just a minute as we finish things out to this idea of choice. And, and I want us to think about the woman at the well. I know if in one of the emails before you came, we, we encourage you to read Ephesians 1 and John chapter 4. That's where you find her story. We're not going to go there and read the whole thing. But I know that probably most of us are familiar with her story anyway. That from all indications, she had a very empty soul. And she was trying to fill her emptiness with the love of a man. And over and over again she tried. Jesus told her she had been married five times and now she's living with a man, not even her husband, right? But did you know that all the way back in Genesis 3, God said that's going to happen? He actually said that's going to happen. 
When God spoke to Adam and Eve after their sin and he was going through the effects that, that were going to come into their life, he, he talked to the serpent, he talked to Adam, and then he talked to Eve. I don't think this was all the effects. I think he was just naming some of the most pronounced ones. Sounded like that. It felt like it just changed. Okay. Um, sorry about that. Anyway, God spoke, and he spoke two things to Eve. And again, I don't think these were all the things, but these were the two things that we have in Scripture. The first one was that she would have pain in childbirth. And yes, that's a physical pain, but there's a whole lot more to that. We'll go into that another time if you'd like. But the second one, actually, this is what God said to her. He said, your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, for years, I was like, that just doesn't make sense to me. Because aren't I supposed to desire my husband? And isn't he supposed to be the leader in my life? And so I would just kind of go over that and not really study it or anything. Because just, it just didn't compute to me. But literally, a couple years ago, I was, I was standing in a worship time, getting ready to speak at a marriage conference with my husband. And I had this message that I was going to share, but the whole time I had prepared it, I knew that God had something else that he really wanted me to share, but I didn't know what it was, and I was totally frustrated by the whole thing. But I just let it go, and I was like, all right, God, it's like the day of, and this is all I got, so this is what we're doing. And we were having worship, and I was totally in a place of worship, knowing I was getting ready to speak, and literally, God took me to that verse, and that your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. I hadn't thought about that, and... I don't know how long, and God just literally downloaded a whole understanding of that to me. I ended up sharing it that day and have shared it many times since, but it was something that just gave me so much understanding, even to what was going on with this woman at the well and in my own life, my daughter's life, you know, women that I meet, marriage in general. So I want to talk to you about that for just a minute because it, it affects all of us. God said this would happen. Let me explain it to you. When God said to Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. It's not that desiring her husband or his leadership in her life was ever to be a bad thing. God created that. He created marriage. He gave her husband a, a leadership you know, DNA within him. But what God was saying is everything that I've created that's good for you in this now world of sin is going to start to degenerate. See, when God created them, they were full. So they related to one another in this marriage out of fullness. They weren't looking to one another to fill each other up to become their other half, okay? They already were full. So out of the fullness that God was just pouring out into them and was constantly there, they were just spilling out over into each other's lives. And the expression of male and female, there was this beautiful mingling of souls. It came from within them, from the God within them, who was just filling them up and they poured out on one another. But what God was saying to her was, now that sin has entered the world and my supply is no longer available to you, you're going to experience an ache so deep. There's going to be an emptiness so deep on the inside of you. You're not going to be able to stand it. So you're going to start looking somewhere to fill that up. And you're going to look to a man. The only problem is he's not going to be able to fill you up because he's going to be empty too. And the desire I put inside of him to lead you and love you in a holy leadership is all going to degenerate too. And he's going to hurt you in that leadership. Sometimes that leadership is going to be cruel. It's not going to be what you need. God was telling her that because he was saying, I'm the only one that can fill you up. Now, ladies, I imagine that most of us in, that room, in this room can relate to that in one way or another. 
Many of us have made poor life decisions in relationships with men because our hearts were empty. Many of us have experienced hurt from the men that we love because they're dealing with their own emptiness and they don't always know how to lead us well. God showed me something that day. He, he said this to me. He said, nobody has to teach a little girl that she needs a boyfriend. When they're this big, they start talking about who their boyfriend is. It comes from within us. It's what happened on the inside of us. You know, marriage is beautiful. God created marriage. And it's beautiful when it all gets redeemed in Christ. Because, see, the supply of love is back on. So I can be full in Christ. And when I'm full in Christ and my husband's full in Christ, we're just flowing out of the overflow and relating to one another that way. But without that fullness from Christ... We all know marriage can get really ugly and hard. So it's no wonder that this woman at the well had had five husbands, and now she's living with a man who's not even her husband. Throughout this weekend, we're going to look at her story alongside Ephesians 1. And her, her story, Ephesians 1, is really going to come to life in her story because here's what's going to happen in her life she's going to receive a supernatural revelation of the love of God that flows without end and never runs dry. See, here she was, this woman from Samaria. She's going to the well during the afternoon with her empty water pot and all over her life, indication she's empty. And Jesus is traveling on the way to Samaria or traveling on the way somewhere else, but he goes through Samaria. Now, Jews didn't do that, right? They didn't go through there because of racial issues. But on this day, Jesus went through Samaria right into the middle of it. And you know why? Because he had spiritual blessings that he wanted to pour out on her because he chose her and now he's pursuing her with his grace because he wanted to adopt her into his family and forgive her and redeem her and lavish her with all the goodness that she didn't deserve, but he just wanted to do that. And when Jesus started having this conversation and she's talking about real water and he's talking about the water of life and Jesus told her this in John 4, 13 through 18, Jesus said, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, meaning the literal water. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And she's like, please, sir, give me that water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. And he said, go get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman said. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. This same Jesus was the same God who said that to Eve all those years ago, and now he's looking at it face right up, right? This points to this deep emptiness in her life. And I've heard people speak about her story so many times, and I always appreciate the things I hear. But a lot of times I hear people try to figure out, you know, why, why was that happening in her life? Was she abused as a little girl? Or, you know, were these men just horrible people? Or was she just a loose woman? You know, and I've heard it taught from every angle. But really when you get down to it, ladies, it doesn't matter why. Because all sin creates emptiness. Now it matters why, because she's a person and we, we love her and we care about her, but all sin creates emptiness. The real thing that matters is Jesus is the only one that can fill the emptiness. The truth is she was empty of all the things she was supposed to have and she was filled up with all the things she wasn't supposed to have. And here's the real truth. Isn't that the case with all of us, right? See, we may not be, you know, shacking up with our sixth man, but we all have stuff that we run after because we feel empty. 
and we grab it and we strive for it and we try to put it in our lives, but those things don't fill us. They actually drain us. But the good news is we don't have to live like that. We do not have to live like that. Because in Christ, we can choose, right? We're talking about a choice. We can choose his supply. But do we really understand that? Do we really understand? Have we gotten revelation of the choices that are in front of us? See, for so many of us, even as believers, we're believers in Jesus, but we live empty lives. We live empty lives of the fullness we're supposed to have, or we're just about half full or two-thirds full or almost full, but we just settle. We would never settle for that in any other area, but we do with him. A lot of us, instead of spiritual blessings of joy and peace and hope, we're filled up with bitterness. We're filled up with anxiety. We're filled up with despair. Instead of a belonging and an identity that should be filling our lives, we're filled up with rejection or insecurity. Or instead of holiness and grace that should just be, you know, bubbling up inside of us, we're filled up with shame. Instead of redemptive forgiveness, we get filled up with fear. We get in bondage to things that just don't satisfy. I want to read for you from Isaiah chapter 55. God has brought me back to this passage so many times in my journey with him. And you can turn there if you want. We're just about done. But in Isaiah, Isaiah was a messianic prophet, meaning he was a prophet that spoke to the nation of Israel in relation to the fact that Jesus was coming. So he was always talking about that, and he was talking to them many times as if he was already there. And this is one of those um, cases in Isaiah 55, and he says this. He says, hey, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. See, here's this timeless word of God. Isaiah spoke this to the people way back then, but oh, it speaks right now to us. It would speak to the woman at the well. It would have even spoken to Eve. See, we put our efforts, we put our energy, we put our money and time toward things that don't fill and satisfy when what God says he has is free. We can have all we want and we don't even have to pay for it. And this weekend, that's the, that's the invitation that God is giving us, the choice. He's saying, you've got these two choices. Why don't you buy what you don't even have to pay for and what will really fill you, what will really satisfy you, what is really, really good. Come and get wine and milk, these provisions from God that will get into the deepest places of our soul and fill us up. Choose to get under the flow. Now, how do you do that? Well, we're going to talk about that all weekend. How do we do that? But I want to tell you one way tonight that we're going to even begin to practice. During this season, when I was crying out to the Lord, I had a friend share this with me, and it's been so meaningful in these last few months. But she told me about the Puritans and how they used to pray. And, you know, it is so important that we, being spirit, soul, and body, that we get our bodies physically involved in the things that we're, you know, working out with the Lord. Sometimes we let it all take place in our heads. we we got to get ourselves involved. We're spirit, soul, and body. And she told me about how the Puritans used to pray, and they would use their hands like this and this. And it's just this process. It's so simple. And you would think, well, why do I need to do that? I can just pray in my head. Believe me, there's power in this movement. This, this idea of releasing, literally you just hold your hands like this. And you just begin to tell the Lord the things that you're filled up with that you know he doesn't desire for you. The fear. And you just talk to him about it. And it might take a long time. And you just tell, Lord, I, I need to let go of this fear. I don't even know how to let go of it. 
but I am just letting go in, in your name. I'm letting go. This apathy, this anxiousness, whatever it is, this greed in my life, this jealousy, this, this disappointment, God, even disappointed in you, God, you let go of any of it. And then when you let go of all that you know, you turn your hands up and you just say, God, I want to receive. I need your love. I need your grace, God. I can't do it a day if you don't let me know that you love me. That you, that you, if you don't let me know that you chose me. Because, see, you just let go of the fact that everybody else rejected you, so now you got to know that God chose you. Whatever it is, it's just a release and a receive. I can't tell you how many times in the last six months you'll find me sitting at my desk doing this. <laughs> you know, in, in my bathroom, <laughs> in the shower, whatever. Just that release and receive. See, often we know things like Ephesians 1 in our heads. We've read them. We've sung about them in songs. But they never fill our hearts. We're too busy. We're too rushed. We're too captivated. So we show up everywhere else to buy what we need to fill us up in this world. And then we're empty. And God says, why? You don't need to do that. You can have your abundance from me. Tonight we're going to give you a moment to respond to this word. I don't know if you're like me, but like if I send someone an email or a text and they don't respond back to me, like I'm like offended. I don't like that. It just to me is as easy as it is as it is now, you know. And there are times that I don't either, Cindy. I see your face, but I try really hard. And, and we all have grace, like like lavish us with grace, right? But no, the idea is that God has spoken all of this to us. How can we not respond? right? We have to respond to him. And so we're going to have a moment of response. And you actually have a sheet in your folder. It was right behind those, um, your notes page, okay? And it says, I think it's called Thursday Night Response. Yeah. And there's three things that we're going to ask you to do. The first one is that you're going to copy those first eight verses, and you might think, why do I need to copy them? That feels like first grade when they used to make me write sentences, right? No, it's not. There's such good things that happen when we write out the scripture. We're going to be doing a lot of that this weekend. So do that, and then put a heart around each of those truths that we just went through, right? He blessed us. He chose us. He adopted us. He pursued us. When you get to the one bestowed, remember that's pursuit. But then with the time that's left, what I want you to do just sitting here, let's not go anywhere or whatever for it. Just practice that release and receive. We're going to play some worship music. And we'll just do this for a few moments to give us time to do these things, to respond to the Lord. And then I'll come out and close us out. Okay? Yes? I think the sheet says 8 You are right. It should say copy, scripture to copy, 8, um, no, it should say 1 through 8A. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for your grace in that. Sorry about that. Thank you for recognizing it too. Because that could be confusing. Yeah. And by 8A, we mean the first half. Okay. All right. I don't want to assume that everyone knows that. All right. So we're just going to play this worship music. Um, does anybody need a pen? Okay. We've, okay. If you do, we're going to get some and put them right here. And I'll let you know when we're finished with this time.